Please enjoy this sport bloke segment from an upcoming or recent episode. So, Shui, before we started recording this episode, we watched the end of the New Zealand-Perth game, which was an absolute cracker, wasn't it? My goodness, I can't wait to watch the full thing. We've only said game of the season like seven times oh, this year. Man. No. I, it, you know, I got deja vu because I remember you and I watching a Perth-New Zealand, the end of a New Zealand... Bryce Cotton, yeah. the, the double clutch. Yeah. yeah, before we recorded one last year. Man, Bryce, so, Bryce does, oh, some, he is an amazing. does some stuff against New oh, Zealand, doesn't he? But before we get there, another interesting round, ups and downs. Yeah, it, it honestly just seems like the last few rounds, it's like four crackers and four crappers. Like you're getting a mixed bag. Of, That's an okay ratio, I think. Oh, you can deal because with Because the crackers have been very good. That They have. Yeah. They absolutely have. But we'll save the Perth games. Well, I don't know if we'll even talk about that Brisbane win. It was a good win. But we'll, we'll save the Perth-Melbourne and the Perth-New Zealand game to the very end of our NBL chat for reasons that will become apparent. Where should we start otherwise? We got to start with the ants, don't you? Yeah, two wins. Tassie Jack Jumpers. They yeah, now great weekend. Ten and nine. Ten and nine. A lot of people, myself included, didn't think they'd win more than maybe six or seven all season, and they are ten and nine. And thanks to Brent Costello on Twitter for reminding me, they were two and six to start the season as well. They're now one and a half games behind the Phoenix for fourth spot. Surely they couldn't make the finals. I don't think they can, but I mean, what a, I, I, I called it early. Scott Roth is coach of the year. Yeah. And look, a few weeks ago, I said Dean Vickerman, but I'm absolutely on the Scott Roth train. I mean, he was a close second at that stage, but yes, I think yeah. he may have just overtaken Vickerman at the moment. Well, Matt Kenyon was the insertion into the starting five, wasn't he? 90% win rate. Imagine at the start of the season saying that Matt Kenyon's going to be... and He's going to get you nine and one. Full credit to him. He has been a revelation for that team. The energy that he brings is, is just... It's amazing. But if yeah, if you'd said this team would be 10 and 9 with Will Magnay playing every game, yes, most people would have laughed you down. And great to see Clint Steindl starting to play quite well too because I said at the start of the season... The sixth man of the year was right there for the taking for him. And he started to produce some of those performances that might have him in that contention. Well, it's kind of funny because this game against Illawarra was, I don't want to say eerily similar to the previous game that they played against Illawarra in Illawarra about a month ago, but similar sort of storyline. You had Josh Adams in that previous game who was cooking from deep, end up with, I think it was eight threes in that game. Clint Steindl had seven in this one. Oh, he was magnificent. He was seven of eight, wasn't he? Uh, seven of ten, I think. Oh, was, oh okay, yeah, okay. But again, there was one play in particular where he just rhythm dribbles into a three with a hand down. And you're just thinking to yourself, am I watching a replay? Like, this is the same shit that we get from Illawarra every single week. And it's not it's, mistakes you expect from a Gorgian team. No. Or performances. In fairness, at times you, you could be forgiven for thinking we were talking as if they were bottom of the ladder. They did string three together in a row recently. They've looked a little bit better. Harvey's looked a little bit better at times as well, although the consistency is a major issue. And they're still outside the four looking in. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. This is the thing. That is one of the most talented teams in the entire league. They should not be sitting at fifth. They should be second or third at worst. Oh, well, I picked them for the championship. Me too. So I'm very surprised, yeah. Yep. So, yep. And it's, it is. It's the same old thing. Like, you, said, you know, Tyler Harvey's had some good games, six of 19 in this, three of 12 from deep. And if you look at some of the other guys, like Tim Conrad, O of seven. O of seven. Oh, he's, Tim he's the teacher's pet, isn't he? He had more shots than Duop Reith. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and this is where I, I can't understand this. Duop Reith, firstly, only played 24 and a half minutes, which is ridiculous. But the six shots that he took, when he's getting that ball inside, single coverage, he's unstoppable. 
nobody can stay with him. Oh, he's a fantastic player. Like he's too athletic for the he's smaller got guys. Great footwork. Yeah. Yep. yep. Like he, the lovely one, hook shot. Yep. And and there were points where it maybe looked like he was standing in the corner pouting, and I completely get that. Like if you're setting a pick and roll and you roll into the post, and then Harvey or Jessup or Conrad jack up a three instead of hitting you, I would pout too. I'd be sitting there going, well, what the fuck's the point in me running the floor? What's the point in me putting the effort in if you're not rewarding me for, for getting to the right positions and not giving me a chance to dominate an inferior defender? Well, Magnus out. So. Exactly. So you're, you're talking about him backing into a Jack McVeigh or Matt Kenyon, great player, but I don't think he can really stick with Duot Reith. So that absolutely bailed out. Well, Reith's borderline NBA, isn't he? Absolutely. And by the way, you mentioned McVeigh. He's been excellent too the last couple of games yeah oh, he was huge in this game yeah absolutely huge. Huge. Uh, he was what 26 or something 26 massive yeah. three-point play right at the end which yep. which kind of i guess stopped the big run that the hawks were on it is uh, it's just crazy I, I don't understand how teams are still just not preparing themselves right for tasmania and not meeting them with that energy it's 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 crazy but you can't take them lightly absolutely not and, and honestly i i hope that they give Whoever it is in fourth, whether it be Illawarra, Southeast Melbourne, or Sydney, I hope, we, I hope they give them a good run. It'd be great to see it come down to the last game of the, or last round of the season. Maybe not last game. That's probably a bit too well, optimistic. Well, the thing is, though, like it could actually potentially come down to the last game because the the fixtures have all been released. Yeah, that that was an interesting one, wasn't it? Given that they had the the option and people were used to the rolling fixtures, would it have been good if they'd maybe kept the last few rounds? Do you think? Or do you think the certainty, there's been too much uncertainty of late and they just, if they could, they had to get it all out there? Well, I think what it does is it potentially sets the scene for what could be a very exciting run-up. I mean, if, if you look at the last games of the season, the last two games are Sydney and Illawarra and Perth and South East Melbourne. That could very well decide the four. If not both, one of those games will, there's a very, very good chance it could decide. Or if not the four, positions in the four. One of those four teams is going to miss out. Yeah. And... Well, unless Melbourne United. No, no, yeah, yeah, they will. One of those, you're right. At least one of those, probably only one of those, but at least one of those teams will miss out, and those games could determine. Yep. And so, yeah, and so that that's where it's kind of interesting. You know, you've got Melbourne United who could potentially have it all wrapped up. Well, they could be resting players. Yeah, Yeah. playing Tasmania in Tassie the day before. Yep. So, yeah, I I think it's great. I think this is really winding up nicely. Storyline number two. Melbourne United are still the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix's daddy. Yeah, the Phoenix decided to slow down at the end of the throwdown. Well, they choked. Oh, I fucking hope they choked. And look, there were a couple of decisions that probably didn't go their way. I don't know how you feel about the Delhi travel or not travel. I don't think he traveled. I, I actually don't either. I it think was he, pretty close. Yeah, I think he kept the pivot foot down. I think it's interesting that they used that challenge so early in the game for Mitch Creek, the foul. And and Gazy and Healy in the commentary booth kind of debated back and forth like he said well you know he's the star player maybe they want to keep a foul but it was only his first foul is what Gazy yeah. said I mean that's one that they might have and look maybe they would have lost that challenge but that's the sort of play you want to challenge in the fourth quarter because I agree on replay it probably looked like he didn't travel but I tell you what in the naked eye I definitely thought that was a travel when I watched that live I think to quote the AFL goal umpires inconclusive <laughs> So, yeah, it, I, I don't think there was a problem with that personally. The bigger problem I had with that particular play was that the Phoenix are down by, they're down by one. Chris Golding has the ball. And, you know, I've, I've said this a couple of times. The first rule with Melbourne United is you don't let him take a wide open three. 
And Joe Chi is standing there three feet off him, or probably more, probably more like six or seven feet off him because he's so tall. It was tall. a decent space, yeah. But his hands are next to his yeah, knees. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, uh, you know, Make I, it hard for him. I know you don't like Mark Jackson, but hand down, man down. Mark. I loved him as a player. I just don't like him as a commentator particularly. Yeah, no, absolutely. He should have had his hands up. And by the way, I, I actually thought Chi outplayed JLA. Absolutely. I, I don't know what the stats were in the end. I have to admit I didn't look at the box. But from eye test, he definitely outplayed him. Definitely. And I thought he came out with some aggression. I, I actually liked the the way Chi came out in that game. Oh, absolutely. And that was always a big worry was what's going to happen? Chi's not had a great last probably, what, month, six weeks? Yeah, people have started not... to say that people have figured him out, yeah. including us, in fairness. And, and Chi, what, 16 points, 12 boards, JLA had 12 and 15. So they kind of almost battled themselves to a, to a draw. There. Yeah, okay, there you go. Yep. But, yeah, I think for me, the biggest talking point from this game, aside from the fact that, yes, absolutely, this was a choke and absolutely Southeast Melbourne can't seem to figure out how to get over the line here. Oh, it's got to be. I mean, Melbourne United are living rent-free in their head now. Yep. It's got to now be at a point where it's playing on them mentally. Mm. And I didn't watch the press conferences, but I don't know what sort of questions Simon Mitchell got. Oh. But I saw the look on his face when, when that final siren sounded. Not good. Not good. But no, the thing I kind of wanted to talk about is this this whole bullshit unsportsmanlike technical foul combo thing. Yes, yes, and it's that really, was key yeah. in the in the late stages of the game. Losing Mitch Creek for those last couple of minutes was, I mean, he was having a blinder too, wasn't he? He was. So, yeah. And look, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the technical foul wasn't there because it a thousand percent was. He stepped over the line. That is with both feet. Yeah. It's so Gazy and Heel again. They debated it in the com box. It's automatic. You got to call it if. Because Gazy was like, oh, do you have to call it now at this point? Had yes. it been had it been a tiny, tiny little bit, had it been like the KD3 against Milwaukee, maybe you don't call it. Literally both feet went over the line and probably half of both feet. Yeah. It had to be called. It, it did. It had to be. The issue I have, though, is, and look, full disclosure, I'm not a fan of Mitch Craig. I think he's no, a, he's no a, neither of us. I think, he's a, I think he's a great player, but... I think he's a pretty I, good player. I think he's a bit dirty and not a great bloke, yeah. but... Do we want the best players being thrown out over a non-hostile act? No, definitely not. Definitely that, not. That's the issue I have. Yeah. Now, no, the rules are wrong. The, like the unsportsmanlike wasn't a malicious foul. It was basically just, I'm stopping a guy going out for a layup. And it I'm, was probably there. It was there. 100%. It was untidy. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. The unsportsmanlike and the tech were both there. But is that the sort of combination that warrants a guy getting thrown out of a game, especially a top of the table clash? Uh, yeah. I don't know how they fix it. They just, Maybe yeah. only two unsportsman likes yeah. get you thrown out. But see, the problem is tech fouls can be for all sorts of things, including abuse. If you were constantly abusing an umpire and got two techs, you probably should be thrown out. So I don't know how they fix it, but there must be a way. Well, you've, can... you've just It's simple. You've got classification. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. So if it's a hostile act, like you push someone or you tell a referee to fuck off, whatever it happens to be, absolutely. No problems. Two of those, you're gone. Yeah. But if you're talking about a non-hostile, like he stepped on a line, that's... Well, this is this is the technical in technical foul. Like, this is about as technical as it gets, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I, I just think it's simple. Technicality. If it's hostile... Yeah, no, out... I, I like that classification. If you yeah. deem hostile and, and unhostile acts, yeah. yeah. Yep. This is the thing. Like, it's not the sort of thing that we want to see some of the, the great stuff. Imagine if a Bryce Cotton got thrown out. Imagine if imagine if a Melbourne United player got thrown out for that. Like, <laughs> heaven forbid. Oh, look, even bench players. You, you, True. You just don't want to see it for, a, a, as you say, a, a non-malicious act. Yeah. And two shots in the ball from the side is a pretty steep penalty anyway. Yes. Let alone losing a bloke. Absolutely. So, yeah. 
So, yeah, I, I think that was quite disappointing. And especially with the context of the match, especially where we were at, at that point of the match as well. Oh, the Phoenix were, con- they controlled that game for what? 90% of it? Give or take, yeah. A long time. Yeah, but full credit to Melbourne United. That's what good teams do. Yes. You know, and, and it's what Perth did today against New Zealand. They were pretty lucky to get out of that game. Oh, but big time. <laughs> but good teams find a way yes. to, to battle back in those things. They put themselves in good positions. They play good defense. And their, their depth helped. Oh, it did. Big time. I mean, Huck Porty had two blocks in the space of about 30 seconds. He actually, again, finished the game down the stretch. This is becoming a trend. It is. I don't know if you saw, but after the Wildcats win over Melbourne, Vickerman in the press conference said, there's a couple of blokes that aren't pulling their weight in training. They're going through the motions. This I'm all paraphrasing here. I wonder if JLA is one of the blokes he was talking about. I think JLA is injured. Yeah, okay. I think he is. Okay. There was one point where he came off the court and wasn't walking freely at all yeah okay. there was a, I missed that there okay. was a little bit of a limp so I, I've got a suspicion that maybe he's not a hundred percent so I wouldn't be surprised if down the stretch if Melbourne is still top they may be resting for yeah okay well they've got the depth as I say I mean yeah. they've got white they've even Aquera can come in if they need him to yeah so Mason Peatling like he's yeah higher up on the depth chart so yeah absolutely they could weather that if they had to definitely yeah. we've said that before yeah We'll concentrate on the first and last game of the round for the Wildcats. It was a big round for them, three games. That Brisbane game on the Saturday in the middle. It's a weird Good one. win. They won one quarter out of four and won the game. Yeah, well, there you go. I didn't realize so that. So it comes down to... The, <laughs> I did you, not realize you, that. Yep. The, wow. the second and fourth quarter were won by a two and one. I mean, you smashed the third quarter. Yeah, yeah. They really blew it out after halftime. Yeah. But no, you're right. The United game and the New Zealand games were huge. I mean, obviously... The United game, again, two real title contenders battling it out. And I don't know about you, but I actually felt really confident about that one. I I felt like this is the sort of game that the Wildcats go and win. And this is the sort of game where Bryce often performs. Up 10 with about four seconds left. I was still sure that... (laughs) I was still sure that Golding was going to find a way to knock down four threes in the space of four seconds. It was that typical kind of... Just don't forget about us win by the Wildcats, I think, against it, it the was. top of the table. Look, Perth always play well in Melbourne. That's just one of the things that they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have got a pretty good record there. It's but, true. Yeah. And, and look, the, the big thing for me out of that game was you go into a game without Matt Hodgson and you're playing against a team that has Joe Luwalichul, Huck Porty, and a lot of All other... All those bigs. Yeah, yeah. Those bigs, yeah. And out-rebound them 49-41. That is massive. It is massive because rebounding... I mean, worm of the week... Vic this Law. week, Vic Law. Yeah. yeah. 18 balls. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> to go with 20 points. As yeah. Well, he, had a very, he had a very good weekend, actually. There's not many 2020s in the NBL. Let's just yeah. say. Massive shout out to Mitch Norton in that Melbourne United game. 26 points, five boards. He had as many rebounds as JLA. He's just, he's such an important player, isn't he? And he barely missed a shot. Uh, I mean, clearly he benefits from them keying in on yeah. Cotton and they, that's a strategy that they use a lot against the Wildcats. So Norton does often perform well against Melbourne, but you've got to hit your shots. You've got to make those cuts. Best you've off, still got to play well. Best off ball. He was very, yeah. In the entire league. He was very good off the ball in that game particularly. Yeah, spectacular. Yeah. Unfortunately, another donut for Michael Frazier. He, he has picked it up a little bit in the last couple of games, though, I must say. Um, well, I think he's just he's just moved lower on the bench, and that's good. That's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I, I'd rather see Travers and, and Blanchfield get 
some of the minutes Frazier was getting. And look, I don't know that United actually played that badly. They just missed a lot of shots. Like Chris Golding, one of 11 from deep, three of 14 overall, Delhi six of 16. The one thing I am a little bit surprised is not seeing a lineup at some stage of JLA, Huck Forty, and Jack White. How much fun would that be? Oh, it's big, isn't it? I mean... Jack White can shoot, though. Yeah, he can. He, he can dribble and he's mobile. And so can JLA. I mean, he's a stretch four. Can you imagine defensively uh, going into the keyway against that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess the worry is foul trouble. If if you had that lineup out there and a couple of them got a couple of quick fouls. All right. I, I think two out of the three. I don't know if I'd have all three. I'll counter this. Put those three out there with Shay Ely and Matthew Dolvanova. No one's getting to the hoop, but if they do... Yeah, yeah, they'll get blocked. They're getting this shit blocked. Jack down. White, man, two huge blocks and one massive tip dunk against the Wildcats. Oh, yeah, it was huge. I, I, I'm a massive fan of his. Yep. Massive fan. And now we've kind of buried the lead a little bit here, but the New Zealand game, which did just finish all of what? About a few hours ago. A few yeah. hours ago, really. So, yeah, Vic Law, stupidly good again. 39.7 boards, absolutely killed New Zealand in the mid-range, which is almost a lost art, but just, yeah, just picked him apart. Look, I mean, Cotton was great. 32 points, nine boards, eight assists. You couldn't ask for much more from him. Oh, I can't wait to watch it after you go, mate. Well, let's wrap up so I can go on. That's it. Uh, Not too fast, not too fast. (laughs) But uh, look, New Zealand were great. They fought so hard in this one. Yanni Wetzel, a beast, 17 and 19 boards. He seems to be forgotten a bit in the NBA talks, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, I don't He's know. He's got to be a chance. Oh, you'd think so. With his, his size yeah. and his skills. But yeah. yeah. Then he had uh, Hugo Besson, 23 points, 19 for Peyton Siva. Tom Abercrombie hit some shots. He's yes, now, some big threes. He's, and, yeah. uh, he's back now. So, yeah, look, it was it was a great weekend. To get all three of those going home now with nine straight is huge. Oh, yeah, weekend. yeah. So just as I thought the Wildcats would win the Melbourne game, I was really worried about the New Zealand game because obviously the – travel and the time and thinking about home and it was a bit of a danger game and they did nearly lose it but wow it what never, a finish never even crossed my mind going into it that this would be such a hard game but yeah look phenomenal and as we say punctuated by a crazy crazy game winning three by Bryce Cotton with less than two seconds to go and I think this is kind of the perfect time to, to bring it up it's it really is so We've sat on this one for a long time. Obviously, we're nearly, we're getting closer and closer to our 100th episode. And we've probably come close to talking about it a few times. And it did come up in our crossover episode with the Pocket Podcast guys. But because we vehemently disagree, we thought we'd sidestep that one and maybe address it another time. Now, initially, we thought we might talk about it on our next crossover with them. We haven't teed anything up. We hope to, we'd love to do it again, because I think it's one of our best episodes, apart from us all completely underestimating Melbourne. Yes. (laughs) All four of us did. And overestimating New Zealand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I did big time. I'm just such a fan of Bessel. I'm, I'm, anyway, so we've got to bring it up now, though, because first there was the All-Star Game, which happened very recently in the NBA, and it's a it's a feature of that. But also these two Perth games. So first the Perth-Melbourne game where there was a, fair, a bit of fouling at the end, but then also the Perth-New Zealand game, which was a really thrilling finish that went to OT. So, yes, Stewie, that dreaded topic, that polarising topic, we're going to give a few minutes to the Elam ending as so named after its creator, Nick Elam. Yeah, so Nick Elam, look, don't get me wrong. This guy is an absolute genius. Oh, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah definitely. So he's an assistant professor of educational leadership at uh, at Ball State University. He's an incredibly intelligent man. I believe he's a member of Mensa. So, right, there you go. Okay. So th- you certainly can't second guess his ability to think things through, his intelligence, all of that sort of stuff. Like he's a very smart guy. Our arguments are against the concept itself, not anyone that loves it or created it or anything like that. And we're also not trying to 
change people's minds necessarily. If you are a massive, massive fan of this, go nuts. And I found that it is a topic that's very hard to change people's minds on. Yes. Because people have tried to change mine and it it's not it hasn't worked. It has not not worked. No. So the whole process basically is, and there's slight variations of it, but essentially what's happened, certainly in the in the NBA All-Star game, and also I guess to a lesser extent in things like the rookie challenge, there is a point in the game, and it's generally the start of the fourth quarter where teams will be on a certain score and they will then be given a target score. So it might be like the first one in the All-Star game was in tribute to Kobe Bryant at three-quarter time. The next, like, so the team that was leading add 24 points onto the score. That is your target score. And that's a little bit different to what they've done in the basketball tournament, for example, where I think it's the three-minute mark or the four-minute four mark, minute mark yeah. where they turn off the clock and it's plus eight. So by Nick's calculations, it was originally because I think an average NBA game was about 111 points. And so he worked out that in the last three or four minutes, they'd score seven points something. And I think they rounded it up to eight as a result of that. Yeah. And the whole idea of this was to, I guess, try and make the game a little bit more glamorous, get rid of the end of game fouling, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I think, the key reason is to clear up that end of game fouling and the kind of stretching out of games and that sort of thing, or the perception thereof. Now, the issue that we have had, I guess, with trying to get around this is, well, there's several reasons, I guess, but the, the big thing for us is that it takes away from so much of the legacy of the game. It gets rid of overtime. It gets rid of, it doesn't get rid of game winners, but it gets rid of the dramatic game winners. Yeah. So look, I want to say here that I don't think it's the devil. Uh, what was that? The water boy? With, uh, <laughs> it might be, um, uh, it, she's an Academy Award winner. Kathy Bates is the mum on that. With Adam, I shouldn't ask you. If I? it's an Adam Sandler film, I have yeah, no yeah, idea. Yeah, Unless it's yeah. more, but. but I, I don't think it's the devil. I did a lot of YouTube research over the weekend. I watched a lot of videos, some explanations, some like highlight reels, some full kind of end of games. There are exciting endings. It is possible to produce an exciting ending out of this. It is possible. However, there's, I think, a stretching of the truth that every single ending is exciting. And I know that your biggest bugaboo is it can end on a free throw. Well, well, this is it. If you look at the three all-star games that the NBA has had, the first one was a walk-off free throw from Anthony Davis. Walk-off free throws are the most boring thing you could imagine. Yep. The second game in 2021 was a 20-point game. So the Elam ending had literally zero impact on that, except finishing it earlier. Yep. And this year, okay, there was a walk-off shot by LeBron James, a tough fade away, but his team was already winning by a point. So it's not like it was a game winner as such. It was a game ender. Yes. And you're right. There is a distinction between a game winner and a game ender. Mm. And there is a distinction between a buzzer beater and a game ender. Yes. And you're right. As far as the history books are concerned, for the NBA, it would ruin things. And look, I don't think the NBA will bring it in. I think the ad revenue is too important to them. If they really had an issue with... And look, there have been cases lately where the last few minutes of games have been like half an hour. It has been in the news the last few weeks, actually. But the NBA, if they really wanted to change it, they would. But they want the ad revenue. They like the long games. But that's also... That's not so much to do with the free throws. That's more to do with the review system. And the fact that reviews are taking four, five, six, seven minutes to do yep. instead of saying, right, we have an idea that we think the ball was off Boston and we want to give the ball to whoever they're playing. And they scrutinize it and look at it from 15 different angles. And all of a sudden, 
you look at it and yeah, seven minutes has gone by and they still haven't made a decision. That's what is screwing it up. It's not the foul game. The foul game does add time. Well, it's the timeouts as well. And but again, if, if they had an issue with that, they'd remove a timeout. Oh, or they, yeah. they, 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 in the the old use it or lose it, for example, in first halves that happen in some leagues around the world, in college as well, right? Yeah. And that's true. And, and in the case of the NBL, we've already screwed the record books by moving from 12 to 10 minutes. So that argument is a bit weaker. But still, it's still, I think, relevant, but a little bit weaker. One, one of the major issues for me is the mixed metric. So how are we determining a winner? Under the Elam ending, it starts with time and then it ends with a score. I don't like that. I don't. And look, maybe, maybe I'm in my rocking chair. Maybe I need to get over it. Maybe I'm too stuck in my ways. But either pick a score and play to it or pick a time and stick to it. Yes, we have mechanisms for if the score is tied after that, we've got overtime and that sort of thing. Overtimes are exciting. Yeah. Why would we want to get rid of them? I don't understand that. So the mixed metric thing for me is a really big deal. And I would actually have less of a problem if they said, okay, now every game is first to 100 than I would with an Elam ending. Because it just, I don't know, I really don't like the mixed method. So again, massive fan of the Pocket Podcast, guys. They've been excellent to us. This isn't a slide on them. We just have a difference of opinion. And I actually, I think they welcome good conversation and debate. So hopefully. Well, no, no, they do. I, I like, again, they were great to us in the early days and we're playing the, the ball, not the man here, the ball being the issue, right? But I have to push back on this quote from Joe. So he said, the Elam ending is only as big as a disruption to the game at moving from 12 minutes to 10 minute quarters. All records, historical stats are essentially void EA all the way, anyway, will be validated in 10 to 20 years when it's basketball's new norm. Okay, we've talked about the stats thing. There is some truth to that. Basketball's new norm, I don't know. I actually wonder if we move to it, go, oh, fuck. You know, probably shouldn't have done that. And then we move back and we have an asterisk of the Elam ending years. But I can't, when you remove a possibility over time and you bring in a new metric to score rather than time, you can't possibly say that's a lesser change than moving from 10 to 12 quarters. I'm sorry, I can't agree with that. Mm. It's a much more radical change. I also worry that it would potentially be an issue with player development. Oh. So you would find potentially that because the fourth quarter is a little bit shorter, some of these development players... Oh, garbage time. The bench players wouldn't necessarily get as much garbage time. They wouldn't get a chance to hone their skills, try things on the court. So you might find that someone like maybe a Luke Travers... Or I don't know some some other development player who's actually come along and done quite well may not have actually seen the same sort of same sort of time on the court. So I, I just I do I worry that it potentially ruins that and then also ruins the next stars program because guys have a shorter leash. Look at someone like Nikita Mikhailovsky. Yeah, who, well he's gone home who's, now. He's just been sent home after yeah. playing six minutes. Yeah. The Elam ending potentially would diminish even more a chance of him playing. So yeah, that just I don't know it kind of worries me a little bit. No, fair, fair. I, I think the other major issue for me is it's putting a cast on a paper cut. Like it, it's a pretty, it's a, it is, in spite of what Joe says, it's a, it is a radical change to have a mixed metric. I mean, I don't even like soccer where the time on is very nebulous and it's like the umpire just, is, I mean, we've talked about it in a This Week in Sport or Bloody Hell it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Bloody Hell, where are you guys just going, oh, yeah, that's about right. And just like... That bothers me even. And that's still a metric of time. It's not a mixed metric. If we are wanting to remedy the end of game fouling, change the intentional foul rule. Make it harder for teams to foul teams to send them to the line. Put it in the hands of the ref. 
one shot plus possession. Teams will stop doing it pretty quickly. Hit your free throws. Teams will stop doing it pretty quickly. It. It's a skill set. It is a skill set. And there's already major skills in basketball. Again, okay, I'm in my rocking chair. Do we want to erode another? Do we want to diminish the importance of yet another skill in basketball? And if guys hit their foul shots, guys stop fouling. Yep. I mean, Perth's lead actually went up when Melbourne did this tactic. But here's the other thing. So if we're doing it for time, I've had a look at NBL games, even a couple that went to double OT. So this game in question, Perth-Melbourne, the entire game, one hour 45. New Zealand-Illawarra went to double OT. The entire game, just over two hours, two hours and four minutes. Perth-Brisbane went to double OT. The entire game, again, two hours and eight minutes. It's, it's not like these are marathon efforts that are going forever and a day. I've been to NBL games that went for nearly an hour and a half. I mean, this is, this is just a big bash inning. It's only two hours. I, I just, I, again, I really think it's putting a cast on a paper cut and it can be fixed with intentional foul rules being tweaked. Well, I mean, I'll add on to that a little bit and pose a really simple question. The reason we watch basketball is what, Nathan? Because we love it. Because we love basketball. Yeah. So for me, the more the better. The, Absolutely. Do you know, honestly, when you go along to a game at a stadium and the game is finished, it's an empty feeling. Even if your team has won, I often find walking down those steps towards the exit, it's like, oh, well, there you go. That's the most exciting part of my week. I love it when I, in the seasons when we didn't have membership, I loved it when I jagged an OT game. Yep. I was like, oh, got one of the good ones. Yeah. people. It's exciting. It's referred to as bonus basketball for a reason. Yes, exactly. Well, Cam Luke said it tonight. And and can you imagine a game where, like that that Perth-Brisbane game in round two, and round two had two double OT games. They were both really good. New Zealand and Illawarra as well. Was there, but if you look at the top five games in the NBL this season, I would say that probably four of the five went to OT. If you think about the very first game of the season, Brisbane-Tassie, okay, it wasn't a great game, but it was an exciting game. There is a difference between a highly skilled game and an exciting game. And I actually saw a really interesting comment, someone on Twitter, and I wish I remembered who the name was. I apologize. But they said, do you know what? Sometimes the drama of missing a buzzer beater is kind of interesting and exciting too. Yep. And when when teams are trading blows, like it would be so anticlimactic if it happened within four baskets because of the target score of eight. And it might've, who knows, it might've gone to multiple OTs. Which, again, doesn't mean you're getting home super late because as I've looked at three different games here, even the double OT games are only just over two hours long. Yep. And so I guess it, it brings us to the, the biggest issue that we have, which is what it takes away from the game. And aside from the overtime, it takes away all these crazy game winners. We've spoken about the Bryce Cotton game winner today. He probably doesn't take that shot if there's an Elam ending. No, of course not. Because he looks at it and goes, all right, well... That game is not nearly as exciting with an Elam ending. No. You've got the Cedric Jackson half-court shot against the Wildcats. Again, a shot Huge. A yeah. shot that is never taken in the Elam ending. You've got... Well, well that's any, right. Any, any shot kind of further back than a few metres behind the three-point line is not going to be taken in an Elam ending game because there's no time. And, and there's a few that I can think of in the NBA just from the last couple of seasons. Jeremy Lamb's half-court heave against Toronto. Shea Gilgis-Alexander's wild 30-footer followed by Devontae Graham's three-quarter court shot to beat OKC. You've got... DeMar DeRozan's one-legged triple against Indiana. Jerry West's 60-footer against, yeah, iconic, like, yeah. against bloody, bloody New York in the 19-whatever finals. It was like, there's so many of them. Derek Fisher, 0.4. Ray Allen against the Spurs as well. Game six of the 2013 NBA finals. 
even, I mean, we're in March Madness. Jalen Suggs, last year. And I retweeted that because it was just such a crazy shot to win because of March Madness. So the NCAA tournament hasn't even started yet. The, the teams, the final bracket was announced today. But just in the conference championship, Chattanooga over Furman, a guy hit a crazy three over two guys in OT. Stanford over Arizona State, buzzer beater. Texas A&M over Florida in OT, buzzer beater. Miami over Boston College, another one, OT, buzzer beater. Iowa over Indiana. Virginia Tech over Clemson, massive three in OT. The list goes on and on and on. Do we really want to eliminate these games? I sure as hell don't. And, and if you go onto YouTube and even just do a search for college buzzer beaters, there is a bunch of like 15, 20-minute videos of these crazy threes from half court, three-quarter court. There was a, I think it was a four-overtime game a few years back where a guy hit a three to put him up by three and another guy with eight-tenths of a second left, three-quarter court, bank shot, yep. ties it up, sends yep. it to another overtime. There is a reason this is my favourite time of year and why I was so devastated when the tournament was cancelled a couple of years ago because of COVID. And I understood it. I'm not saying it should have gone ahead, but yeah, oh, this is a fun time of year. Very fun. Yeah. I think basically I'll just go back to what I said before. The reason that we watch basketball is because we love basketball and trying to truncate that to me makes no sense. Yeah. If a game is shit, turn it off. Yeah. Bring on all the overtime. Amen. Possibly hope for. And look, as I say. Nothing against its supporters. We just don't like it as a concept. Yeah. So Stewie, I actually have an excuse to talk about the Spurs a lot this week. (laughs) You do, yeah. I have two very good reasons. The first of them. Greg Popovich won his record 1,336th game a few days ago to leapfrog the previous number one, Don Nelson. I've got the top five here. Do you want to have a crack? Well, obviously, are we including Pop and Nels? Pop and Nels. So, yeah, you've got the next three. All right. So, Lenny Wilkins. Yep, 1,332. Uh, I feel like Phil Jackson would have to be. No, he's not no. actually. No. Uh, okay. He might be sixth. I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised if he was sixth. But no, no Phil Jackson. Ooh. Pat Riley. Pat Riley is fifth, 1,210. Oh, the other one's killing me. That is killing me who that other one is. I've got a clue, but you'll get it straight away. Yeah, go on for time's sake. Played for Chicago, Coach Utah. Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan. Oh, obvious. 1,221. Oh, look, I don't know if I've got all five. On, on, the, spot. on, the, spot. on yeah. the spot. Give yeah. me a couple of minutes, I'll probably get that. But anyway. So Pop took the Spurs to the playoffs in 22 of his 26 seasons, still running, of course. All of those 22 were consecutively. He won five championships and coach of the year three times. And this is the crazy one. And I know you had this on your list too. He himself has more wins than the New Orleans Pelicans, 731. Memphis Grizzlies, 910. Toronto Raptors, 1,018. Minnesota Timberwolves, 1,041. Charlotte Hornets, 1,116. And the Orlando Magic, 1,230. And it's worth mentioning that the Magic, Tim Wolves and Hornets have all been around since like the end of the 1980s. Yes, yes. So that's a, that's a long time before Pop started coaching. This and he, I mean, obviously his winning percentage is excellent. It's a crazy record. It may be beaten, but I can't see someone coaching the same team to that many wins. The fact that he's done it all with one team is quite remarkable. So, And the fact that he nearly lost his job in the first season. Well, exactly. Only a few, 10 games in or something. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It took Robinson and, and Avery Johnson kind of getting the team together and saying, come on, guys. We need to beat the Houston Rockets. Pull our finger out. And they did. And while we're on the Spurs, Stewie, Jock Landau had 26 points on 12 or 15 shooting the other day, 80%. The first Spurs rookie to score 25 or more while shooting 80% from the floor in a game since. UA Blab. No. 
1989, the obviously effort. David Robinson. David Robinson. The only other one it could have been was Tim Duncan, basically. But and he also came out today and said that he loves it in San Antonio and would happily play his whole career there. So even though he's not getting as many minutes as a lot of Australian fans would would hope, he clearly loves it there. So please don't keep winning, though, guys. The playing tournament is fool's gold. You've said that a number of times, Nate. I do not think they can hear you somehow. Ah, speak it into existence, should we? Mm. <laughs> now, speaking of teams tanking, you've got an interesting one of your team. Yeah, something that has never happened before that actually happened today, funnily enough. Oh, farcical. And we probably will never see it again. So Memphis and OKC both came out for the opening tip of the game in all white. Yes. <laughs> They've kind of looked at each other. It's it's kind of like when, you know, two people come out in the same outfit and it's like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who's going to change? Yeah. And, well, Memphis, because they were the road team wearing home uniforms. Yeah. Do you know what I think they should have done, though? What's that? I think they should have done the old get out the netball bibs and... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've, we've been on one end of that on a number yeah. of occasions. Do the, yeah. do the coin toss and see who has to wear the netball bibs. I feel like we always had to get those bloody... We bibs. always did. Yeah. It was us and Edgewater were the yellow teams and we always ended yeah. up having to wear them. Yeah, well, I remember at uh, Hammersley as well, we had to a few times. Yeah, they all f- fell on, uh, on wing attack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But no, that was, that was crazy and it will probably never happen again. I dare say there might be an equipment manager who uh, may need to jump on Seek. Oh, it's a fine. Absolutely. Seek is not a company in in America, I don't think, but whatever the Seek equivalent is. So just a very, very quick NBA this week, but we'll definitely cover it more next week with hopefully our special guest. Mm, Teaser. He's not a ghost, though. Thanks for listening to this Sport Blokes segment. Why not listen to the full episode and check out their Twitter at Sport Blokes. 